right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. She looked quite impressive, considering the world that she lived in. In an 1865 photo of her, Pauline Cushman looks like a lot of other women of her day, wearing a military-style outfit to show support for their particular side of the Civil War. But while most were unofficial copies, Pauline wore the real deal because she was a Union spy. Her real name had been Harriet Wood, but at 17, she changed it when she moved to New York City to pursue acting. There, she met her husband, Charles Dickinson, in 1853, and the couple had two children together. Unfortunately, her husband died in 1862, and Pauline left her children with her in-laws while she continued her career. While performing a play at the Woods Theater in April of 1863, Confederate officers paid her $350 to make a toast to the Confederacy during the performance. So Pauline approached a Union officer named Colonel Orlando Hurley Moore and asked what she should do. Surprisingly, he told her to accept the offer and then report to his office the next day. Her toast brought the house down, but it also cost Pauline her job. She reported to Moore's office, though, and soon accepted a new position as a Union spy. In the summer of 1863, she left on an assignment to Nashville, Tennessee. There, she pretended to search for a missing brother in Confederate camps. Of course, the real goal was to determine each camp's size, fortifications, and what sort of supplies they had. Every visit required her to recall the information by memory, since taking notes would get her caught. At one camp, though, she came across fortification maps. Realizing their importance, she tucked them into her boots. But her frequent trips across Union lines had raised suspicions, and Confederate officers stopped her. Naturally, they found the maps and promptly arrested her. Soon afterward, they found her guilty of spying and sentenced her to hang. But Pauline fell ill. And as luck would have it, the Union soon captured Shelbyville, forcing the Confederates to flee and leaving her behind. She briefed her superiors before retiring from the spy business. And many years later, after her death in 1893, she was given a full military burial in the officer's circle in the San Francisco National Cemetery. 
It's a powerful story of one woman doing work that sat far outside the expected norm for her day. But Pauline's story, as surprising as it might be, was not unique. Because the West, you see, wasn't just a man's world. I'm Aaron Mankey, and welcome to the Wild West. Remember the ladies. Those were the words that Abigail Adams wrote to her husband on March 31st of 1776. It was before the Constitutional Convention. Unfortunately, John Adams ignored his wife's request. Back then, women were often seen as subservient. We've touched on this before. Women had little to no rights when it came to owning property, making contracts, or working in a male-dominated job. Men controlled the household and the money. Without support from fathers, husbands, or other men in the family, earning a living was difficult. To make matters worse, women were not usually granted the same educational opportunities as men. For perspective, only about 2% of those aged 18 to 24 went on to college, and just one-third of those were women. By the 1830s and 1840s, though, things began to change. Equal rights, equal pay, custody, divorce, and property rights all came under fire. In 1837, an activist named Sarah Grimke wrote, Men and women were created equal. Whatever is right for men to do is right for women. Men pushed back, but they weren't the only ones. Ladies with traditional roles believed that for them, politics were improper. As incredible as it sounds, some claimed that voting would cause women to grow beards. Imagine their surprise when this didn't happen in 1896 when Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, and Utah allowed them the right to vote. The popularity of women's clubs fighting for equality continued to rise in the U.S. Advocates pushed for child labor laws, unions for women, and prohibition. And the number of women employed grew from about 2.6 million to around 7.8 million. Most found employment in the domestic servant sector. And sadly, men continued to earn more from those same jobs. But as more and more factories went up around the country, the need came from more workers, including men, women, and children. Just imagine the long hours, the unsafe conditions, and repetitive tasks day in and out for barely enough to survive on. Most factory workers were immigrants. The largest employers for women and children were textile mills. Given the bleak conditions, though, word of open land and opportunities in the West lured more than just men. Opportunities to own land, to run businesses, and a chance to gain their independence looked pretty good to a lot of women. And when the men began moving west, so did the ladies. During the late 1800s, slightly over 10% of homestead grants in North Dakota and Wyoming were awarded to women who moved westward. By the early 1800s, this number had almost doubled. But opportunity did not mean an easy life. Working farms and ranches was difficult. In the western frontier, supplies were hard to come by neighbors were sometimes a great distance away. Add in droughts and locust plagues, all while raising a family, and it's easy to see how depression set in for many. Life in relatively uncharted territory came with other problems, too. A harsh life led to accidents, deaths, and bankruptcies. When it came to women suffering from depression and anxiety, they called it shackwacky. Still, considering their choices in cities back east, freedom and opportunity made it worthwhile. Stories of success gave them hope. Sure, most of the available jobs were in shops or small hotels. 
But there were other ways to earn a living. A woman called Poker Alice earned her fortune, you guessed it, playing poker. Ellen Jack became a successful prospector in areas where other men had failed. And on the rodeo circuit, Bonnie McCarroll made a name for herself as a star. Women were realizing that the possibilities were endless. All it took was some imagination and a whole lot of grit. Marketing is often a lie. Despite narratives depicting a frontier full of promise to those willing to work the land, there was a harsher reality. Opportunities were scarce for women, especially for those of Chinese, Native American, and African descent. Impoverished families in China found themselves compelled to sell their daughters. These women arrived in San Francisco and were quickly trapped in the dreary confines of laundries and saloons. In the unforgiving mining camps scattered across California and the Rocky Mountains, they toiled away in filthy conditions, and those destined for sex work were held in pens before being sent to brothels. Native women also witnessed their people ravaged by disease and saw their traditions systematically dismantled in the name of forced assimilation. As the 20th century dawned, indigenous women were trapped in poverty and cultural genocide, yet their determination and strength allowed tribes to survive. And life out west wasn't much different for African Americans. Even though California entered the Union as a free state in 1850, slaveholders still flocked there, assuming that the laws prohibiting slavery could be conveniently ignored. Tragically, their assumptions often proved correct. Slaveholders kept their enslaved workers there uninformed. They were kept isolated on the property so they'd have no knowledge that they actually lived in a free state. But the struggle for freedom was ongoing, and it took the ravages of the Civil War for black men and women to be emancipated. In the years following the war, many freed individuals chose to make the West their home, believing it held greater promise and opportunity. Mary Fields was determined to live her life on her terms. Her journey began in Hickman County, Tennessee. She was approximately 31 years old at the time of the Emancipation Proclamation and she traveled north along the Mississippi River with her newfound freedom, earning a living as a servant and a laundress. Fate led her to the banks of the Mississippi River, where the steamboats beckoned with the promise of adventure. And it was her work as a chambermaid aboard one particularly well-known boat that allowed her to witness one of the most famous races in the history of the Mississippi, the famous Robert E. Lee, against the challenger, the Natchez. Both ships left New Orleans, heading north toward St. Louis. Ever the adventurer, Mary loved telling how she helped the Robert E. Lee win the race. The crew tossed unnecessary items overboard to lighten the load as the two steamships vied for the lead, and they supplied the ship with fuel using everything from barrels of resin to wooden chairs and, if the legends are true, even sides of pork. How much Mary Fields helped is unknown but her enthusiasm for life's thrilling escapades only grew stronger from there. But her time aboard the Robert E. Lee also led to a fresh opportunity. It was there that she met a man named Judge Edmund Dunn and took a position within his household. Sadly, a short time later, tragedy struck and Dunn's wife died from pneumonia. So he sent his children to live with his sister at the Ursuline Convent in Toledo, Ohio, along with Mary Fields to look after them. And as it so happened, Mary Amadeus Dunn wasn't just any nun, she was the mother superior. When she showed Mary to her quarters, she asked if she needed anything. To Mother Amadeus' surprise, Mary Fields responded, yes, a good cigar and a drink. 
Despite her unusual demeanor, Mary Fields and the sisters forged a deep bond. She quickly became indispensable to the daily operations of the school and the convent. She was a master of trades, seamlessly transitioning from washing laundry and purchasing supplies to managing the kitchen and nurturing the growth of the garden. Mary Fields was a force to be reckoned with whenever she spoke her mind, which I'm happy to say was very often. Students were in awe of her fiery temper, and no one dared to walk on the freshly cut lawn after she had meticulously tended to it. And through it all, Mother Amadeus remained Mary's closest friend. But the chance to participate in missionary work out in Montana led the Mother Superior to pack her things and set off, partnering with Jesuit priests to establish a school there. Not long after her departure, though, word arrived that Mother Amadeus had become ill. Desperate to do something about it, Mary Fields immediately set off to help. No amount of wild frontier would stand between her and caring for a friend. It's important to alter your assumptions. On the frontier, medical practices were rudimentary at best, leaving people at the mercy of their limited knowledge and resources. In a world before accessible doctors and advanced medical technologies, the responsibility for caring for the ill fell upon the shoulders of women, wives, mothers, sisters, daughters, and friends. In 1885, when Mary Fields arrived in Montana, the mission housed a sparse population of maybe 150 individuals. The mission, or what it passed for, lacked a physical structure to shield its inhabitants from the harsh elements, and it was there that she found Mother Amadeus battling pneumonia. Mary became a devoted caregiver and decided to help get the mission up and running to her own standards. She cultivated a garden there and hunted wild game to put enough food on the table. And on top of all of that, she coordinated the delivery of essential supplies to their isolated outpost. While she nursed her friend back to health, Mary hauled building supplies to the construction site. She proved adept at maneuvering horse and wagon through Montana's rocky landscape. And for a while, all seemed well. But life in Montana wasn't like life back in Ohio. Her bold personality and unconventional ways clashed with the expectations of some of the residents, and rumblings of discontent reached the bishop. While the sisters recognized and appreciated Mary's invaluable contributions, the bishop had reservations. Mary's defiance of traditional gender norms, like her preference to dress in men's clothing, along with her determination to take physically demanding tasks that were usually reserved for men, it just didn't sit well with him. Rumors that she had participated in a duel proved to be the final straw, and as a result, the bishop banned her. After that, Mary Fields moved to Cascade, Montana, where Mother Amadeus assisted her in trying to launch two different restaurants. Unfortunately, neither of them took off, so despite being on the cusp of her twilight years, she took on a new job as a mail carrier. Remember, in the vast expanse of the Wild West, the United States Postal Service was like a lifeline, bridging the gaps between remote communities and the rest of the nation. So Mother Amadeus bought Mary a wagon to help kickstart her new career. And in doing so, she became only the second woman to have a postal route. Affectionately known as Stagecoach Mary, she began working with the post office as a star route carrier in 1895. Her duties were to deliver mail to sparsely populated areas that didn't have regular routes. Western films might obsess over who had the fastest gun, but Mary could apparently harness a six-horse team 
faster than anyone else around. Her job was to meet the trains to collect the mail and then skillfully navigate the treacherous landscape and the inclement weather, and she handled the job easily, until one day when her horses bolted, leaving her injured. But despite her wounds, she persevered and fulfilled her delivery duties. When she was done, she found herself back at the convent that she had once been expelled from. According to the stories, when the nuns extended an invitation for her to attend Mass that day, it resulted in the rare sight of Mary Fields wearing a dress. She resumed mail delivery, confronting wild animals, thieves, and the unforgiving elements. When the snow accumulated too deeply for her horses, or even her trusty mule named Moses, Mary would simply put on snowshoes and carry the heavy mail on her shoulders. But time catches up with all of us. After eight years as a postal writer, Mary Fields retired. She chose to stay in Cascade, though, with the townsfolk who adored her, especially the children, and although she metaphorically rode off into the sunset, she left behind an amazing story, one of success and perseverance on the American frontier. In the rustic town of Cascade, Montana, Mary Field's life unfolded like the captivating pages of a Western novel. Like the heroes of the Old West, she knew no bounds and possessed an untamed spirit. But retirement wasn't a decision that she had come to lightly. She loved the work, but it was such a demanding and dangerous job that it simply posed too significant a risk for a 70-year-old woman. But even then, she wasn't done. Honestly, restless spirits never are, are they? Mary established a busy laundry business, as well as a quaint eatery. She even took up babysitting. And like the grandmotherly figure that she was, she promptly spent all her wages buying treats for the children. Because, of course she did. The mayor of Cascade recognized her unique character and declared that Mary Fields was the only woman permitted to enjoy libations in the local saloon. But while she appreciated the drink, it was the company and the conversation that she actually wanted more. You can almost see the motion picture version of this chapter of her story come to life. A dusty saloon with dark, dirty walls. Maybe a piano playing in the background. All while she talked to the men about politics or the day's news. And all of them, including Mary, would be smoking a cigar. Mary also kept busy growing flowers in her garden. And when she wasn't gardening, working, or babysitting, she went to the ball field to support the town's baseball team. And whenever anyone hit a home run, she gifted them with a bouquet. Life is short, and good people die way too fast. Mary Fields passed away on December 5th of 1914, and the family she left behind, the entire town of Cascade, mourned the loss of a friend and a hero. And in a nice little poetic twist, her grave overlooks the very same road that she used to use during her time working on the mail route. Mary Field's legend continues to flourish, even long after her death. She emerged as a powerful force when women and people of color were denied all the rights and opportunities afforded to others. And although much of her story remains shrouded in speculation, her legacy transcends the boundaries of time and place, serving as a beacon of inspiration for those who face similar challenges. And it's a powerful message, too, that even though there might be obstacles in our way, each of us is called to roll up our sleeves and knock them down. The Wild West is all too often depicted as a man's world, 
Cowboys, gold miners, sheriffs, and even the outlaws, all of them men, with little room in the story for women to make a mark. Thankfully, as today's journey has shown us, there were those who managed to break through. And we're not done just yet, because the list is longer than you might believe. We've saved one more tale of the women of the Wild West to share with you. And if you stick around through this brief sponsor break, my teammate Ali Steed will tell you all about it. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Pearl Hart didn't subscribe to the societal expectations of the late 1880s. The idea that young ladies were groomed to be obedient, devout, and married off to the right suitors did not appeal to her. But like other women of her time, what she wanted was irrelevant. From birth, Pearl's future was predetermined. Her upbringing was marked by the quiet charm expected of young ladies. She received a well-rounded education in boarding schools and mastered the art of needlework and committing Bible verses to heart. Her parents had grand aspirations for their daughter. She would bear children, maintain the household, attend church, and provide unwavering support for her husband's endeavors. To them, that meant their beloved daughter would have a safe and secure life. 16-year-old Pearl had other ideas, choosing to elope with Frederick Hart, a bartender, instead. 
Her parents disapproved of his drinking and gambling and reckless behavior, but Pearl envisioned a carefree life. What she got was an alcoholic husband who squandered their savings and abused her and their two children. Their relationship was marked by a cycle of separation and reconciliation, with Pearl seeking refuge with her mother only to return to Frederick. To protect their children from their father's wrath, she sent them to live with her family permanently. Her life was changed in 1893 when the couple went to the Chicago World's Fair seeking employment. Frederick found work as a sideshow barker while Pearl undertook a host of odd jobs. Between work and breaks, she attended the Wild West exhibitions where one person captivated her. Annie Oakley symbolized strength and independence. Her passionate speeches at the Women's Pavilion advocating for women's rights convinced Pearl to leave Frederick once and for all and board a train heading to Chicago to live out her own Wild West fantasy. There, she found a position as a saloon singer and eagerly embraced her newfound independence. But once again, fantasy and reality collided. Heroes didn't walk the streets and the town was hardly glamorous. It took two years for Frederick to track down his wayward wife and beg her to come back to him. And in 1895, Pearl agreed, but with one condition. He had to find stable employment. To her surprise, he followed through on his promise. For a short time, anyway. They soon fell into financial ruin once more, and in 1898, Frederick beat her unconscious, abandoning her to join Roosevelt's Rough Riders in Cuba. A year later, in 1899, she found companionship in Joe Boot, a minor. When a letter arrived from her brother urgently requesting funds for their ailing mother, Pearl turned to her new friend for advice, and Joe was happy to oblige. Before long, the couple hatched a plan to rob the stagecoach that traveled the route between Florence and Globe, Arizona. On May 30, 1899, the two bandits leaped in front of the stagecoach, brandishing their firearms. They commanded the driver to halt. One by one, passengers turned over all their possessions, while Pearl and Joe escaped with $450 in cash and a revolver. Yet the pair found themselves lost in unfamiliar territory and settled under a tree to rest. When the sun rose, the sheriff and his posse had surrounded them and escorted them to jail. Pearl eagerly told curious onlookers her story and signed autographs from behind bars. And then... On October 12, 1899, Pearl escaped, and the legend of the Bandit Queen began to spread far and wide. But the long arm of the law soon caught up with her. During her trial in November of 1899, Pearl protested her lack of voting rights, declaring, I shall not consent to be tried under a law in which my sex had no voice in making. It should be noted that most of Pearl's story comes from secondhand gossip. We have no idea how much was true, but her tale of a sick mother certainly tugged at the jury's heartstrings. The judge, on the other hand, remained unmoved. Pearl's second trial ended with a five-year sentence in the Yuma Territory Prison. Once there, she quickly charmed the warden, securing a more spacious cell for herself. Visitors and reporters flocked to see the infamous Lady Bandit. After 18 months of incarceration, Pearl was granted parole in 1902. She settled in Kansas City, where she continued her role. Crowds gathered to watch her production company's reenactment of her daring stagecoach robbery and exploits on the run. Pearl eventually faded from the limelight. 
Some say she opened a cigar store in Kansas City, while others claim she married a rancher in Arizona. Whichever way she decided to live out her life, Pearl succeeded in changing the expectations society had assigned her. Grim and Mild Presents The Wild West was executive produced by me, Aaron Mankey, and hosted by Aaron Mankey and Alexandra Steed. Writing for this season was provided by Michelle Muto, with research by Alexandra Steed, Sam Alberti, Cassandra de Alba, and Harry Marks. Fact-checking was performed by Jamie Vargas, with sensitivity reading by Stacey Partial Jensen. Production assistance was provided by Josh Thane, Jesse Funk, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. To learn more about this and other shows from Grim and Mild and iHeartRadio, visit GrimAndMild.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.